there singing the Queen of the Night's first aria from Mozart's The Magic Flute in that 1953 recording with the SABC Orchestra conducted by Jeremy Schulman. 
Well, it's just after eight, and a very good evening from me, Adrian Fuchs, and a warm welcome to Fine Music Radio 101.3 FM. I am tremendously excited and honoured to present to you tonight a special edition of Great Interpreters, celebrating the career and artistry of legendary South African soprano Mimi Kurza, who celebrated her 80th birthday earlier this week. Kurza holds a position unique among South African performing artists, and she is arguably the most popular classical performing artist that this country has produced. She is a cultural icon, and her career is the stuff of legends. Here in South Africa and also in Vienna, she is still celebrated and fondly remembered for the many extraordinary performances that she gave at some of the world's foremost concert halls and opera houses. Compiling this program, I realized afresh the singular beauty of that voice and the magnitude of her accomplishments. Once an artist such as Kurta has become entrenched in public consciousness, as she has been, it often happens that the artist's true artistic achievements are overshadowed by the more trivial and sentimental nature and appreciation of their art. It therefore gives me great pleasure tonight to share with you some of her rarer and earliest recordings, providing a true glimpse of an artist at her sublime best. But it is not only in terms of the voice that one can assess Kurta's achievements, for one only has to look at the caliber of artists with whom she has shared the stage to realize with what we are dealing here. Krista Ludwig, Boris Christoph, Tito Gobi, Giuseppe Di Stefano, Joan Sutherland, Fritz Wunderlich, Leontine Price, Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau, and Luciano Pavarotti. These, amongst many, many others, are some of the artists with whom she has sung. She also worked with opera directors such as Otto Schenk and Franco Zeffirelli, and conductors of the stature of Herbert von Karajan, Karl Böhm, Dmitri Mitropoulos, and Leonard Bernstein. Let us listen now to the aria Cor più non mi sento from Piacello, as recorded in 1959. Sophia Kurza, or Mimi as she was later called, was born on the 12th of June 1932 in Durban, the third and youngest child of Ben and Maria Kurza. I was privileged to be able to chat to Mimi Kurza earlier this week and will be playing several extracts from my interview with her during the course of tonight's program. Here's the first extract. 
Well, it's a great honor to welcome here on Fine Music Radio tonight with us Mimi Kutzer, who is celebrating her 80th birthday this week. Mimi, welcome, and um, it's wonderful having you on Fine Music Radio. Well, thank you very much. It's very nice talking to you. I want to start off tonight's interview by taking you back to your childhood. Yeah. Um, to Durban, where approximately at the age of two or three years old, you told your parents that you wanted to be a singer one day. And not just any singer, you wanted to be the best singer in the world. Hey, y'all. Did you come from a musical background? Would you describe your, your, your upbringing as musical? No, I'll tell you, I had two brothers. They were 14 and 16 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And I was a real loud lomity. And uh, my second brother, Billy, played the piano fantastically. Of course, he wanted to become a pianist, and my dad said to him, that's for sissies, you get a real profession. He kept on playing. He, he, he got a job then, but he, he kept on playing. And, and he always brought home at that time, I don't think you will know about it, but those were, there were those big records with the white labels on it. And then he brought them, and then he played Gali Kutsi and Erna Zak and all these people to me. And uh, then he was the one who absolutely, he was my mentor. He brought me up with, with a, a, a classical music that a, a, a woman's voice can sing. Yes. And, uh, well, that. That's just the wonderful thing about it. I'm not, he was very musical, of course. My eldest brother could sing very lovely, but that's all. I mean, uh, the Kutsas are all professors or doctors or teachers or things like that. Originally, your, your dad discouraged you from actually pursuing a singing career. Yeah, he was always, he said always, I don't know how exactly to say it in English, but he always said a girl out of a good house does not go on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he must have changed his tune eventually when, you know, you had this incredible career and he obviously sensed your achievements. And they were also yeah. present when you received the title of um, a Kammerzingerin. Yeah, they were then there in Vienna and that was the first time I saw my dad really being proud of me. I mean, he, he did enjoy the concerts later on when I came to South Africa and sang here, but um, it was not like my mother, if you know what I mean. At the age of 16, Kutzer received her first singing lessons from Amy Parkinson, who laid the foundation of a solid vocal technique. Another early mentor was Tabi Kushlik, who gave Kutzer her earliest instruction in drama. Here is Tabi Kushlik describing Kutzer's debut in the Plastic Theatre in Northcliffe, Johannesburg, on the 30th of August 1931, at the age of 19, where she was introduced as a budding South African soprano. This extract was recorded from a speech given by Kushlik in 1986 at a special concert in honor of Kurtze. And then she said to me, I'm going to sing. I said, well, when? I'm going to sing at the Plastic Theatre, the top of Northcliffe. It's a little theatre. I said, but when? How? And she said, I am. And I said, are you ready? Well, sing for me. And up in the bloomers, she stood against the wall, no piano. And Mimi sang. Now, in my career, which is 55 years, a little longer than Mimi's 30, I have had perhaps one or two occasions of this sort of magic. And if I could ever tell you that just to have lived that moment over again, I would give a lot. I didn't know that this peerless, silvery quality was like running water, that's all I can tell you. It was so special. 
I grabbed her by the hand, bloomers and all. I ran into my next room in my house. I saw my husband sitting, reading his evening paper, and I said, Cushy, listen to this. Listen to this. This is going to be a world-famous voice. I wasn't so wrong, was I? Kurta set about preparing herself with great determination for a singing career. She married her first husband, David Engeler, on the 25th of July 1953, since at the time it was still considered improper for a young woman to be travelling alone. And shortly thereafter, in September of that year, they departed by ship for Europe. Following a short stay in England, the couple arrived in Vienna in January 1954. The following week, she started her vocal studies with Maria Hirtov, and that same month auditioned at the Vienna Academy, where she was allowed to enroll as a fifth-year student. At the Academy, she studied under Professor Joseph Witt, who would later recall, and I quote, The first time Mimi appeared in my class, she immediately made a big impression on me, not only as a person, but also as someone with tremendous artistic temperament. She was a fanatical student with unbelievable promise and ambition. I have seldom heard a voice with that wonderful quality. Another noted mentor at the Academy was Professor Victor Greff. On the 20th of January, 1955, Kurta made her professional debut at the San Carlo Opera House in Naples as the first flower girl in Wagner's Parsifal, with Karl Boom conducting. Her real breakthrough, however, came on March 17, 1956, at the young age of 23, when she made her triumphant debut at the Vienna State Opera in the role of the Queen of the Night, the most significant of her many Mozart roles, and one which she would go on to sing more than 520 times. Mozart was a composer whose music played an immensely important role in your career. And of course, you sang such a vast variety of different Mozart roles from the Queen of the Night in The Magic Flute through to Donna Anna or Donna Alvera in Don Giovanni, yeah. Fiordaligi in Cosi Fan Tutte, Constanze in Die Unführung aus dem Serail. I mean, it's just a vast list. But interestingly yeah. enough, Mozart was not a composer that you particularly liked as such. I know that you mentioned that once. But surely it must have resonated with you on some level, and it showed off your voice, obviously, to tremendous effect. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, the reason why I said why I, did, I wasn't so fond of Mozart, when, of course, in the year when I started at the Star Trooper in Vienna, in uh, 56, yes. it was a Mozart year. I don't know whether he was then, if he was alive, he should have been 200 years, or he was dead to I'm not sure now. And everywhere where I went or when I had to sing, it had to be Mozart. Now, you know, you get tired of that. So, um, and I mean, and then all these wonderful roles came, which I enjoyed when I, when I sang them. I really enjoyed it very much. The role, of course, which really formed the basis of your incredible career was that of the Queen of the Night which yeah. um, brought you your initial fame and glory. And, and it was also the, the vehicle for your professional debut in um, September 1955 in Basel. And then, of course, very soon thereafter at the State Opera in Vienna. The only opened on the, the 5th of November 1955. Yes. Because it was bombed two months before the war was over. Oh, you should see those pictures. It's still really... I don't know... You want to cry if you see it. In any case, and... Um, then in, in, in 56, in March, they wanted to do the magic flute. And my professor, I was then at, at, the, at the academy still, and uh, he was the, well, how shall we say, the main producer yes. in the Star Trooper, Professor Yusuf Ditt. And um, he then said to them, uh, to the direction, 
You know, we don't need to, to import uh, Queen of the Night. I've got a child in my class that can sing it. <laughs> so that was wonderful and fantastic. And I mean, my chance came and uh, I went only the two arias through with the conductor that he knows what I'm doing. But then I heard he said, I, ha- I have a child in my class that couldn't. You know, I, wa- I wanted to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. I mean, you're not a child anymore with 23. Of course, you may be. I don't know. <laughs> to achieve that at such an incredibly young age was, I mean, it, it was a phenomenal achievement at the time. Yeah, no, it was, I must, yeah, I must honestly say, um, it was fantastic that I could sing the Queen of the Night. I mean, uh, you know, for me, happiness is not being at the, at the right place at the right time and prepared. And that's what happened. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. 520 times I sang it in four languages and then but, but all over Europe, all over Europe I remember one Sunday afternoon I sang it and then the, the magic flute was repeated again on Sunday evening and I, was, I had to sing again <laughs> so the next morning I went to the director and I said, listen, yesterday was the last time he said, well, okay, okay, okay and then Professor Joseph Cripps who was the conductor with whom I sang mostly the Mozart things, um, he called me in and he said, come on, let's, listen now, I'll help you in this respect. We'll make it a little bit lower, like what we did for Joan Sutherland, and then you will, you will have easier work. And uh, he, he, he said, come, here it is now, sing with me. And then he played it in the original key. And I have perfect pitch, but I never told anybody that in Vienna. And... Um, Okay, so when he was finished, I said, but that is the original key. So he just looked at me like that. He said, all right, but you still have it in your voice. You can still sing it. Now, why don't you want to continue with it? So I looked at him and I said, because, Professor, I'm bored. (laughs) He took his book, put it under his arm, and he left (laughs) me in the room and he went out. (laughs) Well, no one could surely, you know, blame you after 520 performances. Mm Mm-mm, no. I can't tell you the tapestry work and the things I've done between the two arias because you sit there, you are there for about 40 minutes and then you sing the first aria and then over an hour before you sing the second aria. That includes, of course, the interval. And I had some of my colleagues, we played uh, games and everything you can't imagine. Oh, yeah, man. There's, there's a wonderful photo of you with Krista Ludwig yeah. in your dressing room playing Scrabble in between That's your two exactly arias. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I had to go and sing, I took my my letters with me and put it at the stage manager's table and um, because she can change my things while I'm gone, you know. And then when I went back after I've sung, we, go, we continue with the game and then when she has to sing, because at that time she did the third lady, she takes hers also to the, 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 the manager. And I said, oh man, it was, it was, that was lovely actually. And so without further ado, here is the Queen of the Night's Vengeance aria, Der Hölle from Mozart's The Magic Flute, with the Promenade Orchestra conducted by Hichu de Groot in this 1956 recording.
Erhöhlerache from the Magic Flute by Mozart, as sung by Mimi Kurtzer with the Promenade Orchestra, conducted by Hichu de Groot in that 1953 recording. Following her breakthrough performance as the Queen of the Night, Kurtzer was offered a contract with the Vienna State Opera, which for more than 17 years would be her artistic home. She was mere 24 years old at the time and the second youngest person in the history of this illustrious house to be offered a contract to sing as a member of the company. A mere three weeks after her debut as the Queen of the Night, Kurtzer made a debut at the Volksoper in Vienna as Gilda in Verdi's Rigoletto. Like the Queen of the Night, the role of Gilda would become a calling card for Kurtzer, and in June 1958, a review in the Neuer Courier stated, and I quote, Italians can learn from the non-Italian singer Mimi Kurtzer how opera should be sung. Light in tone and phrasing, yet full of dramatic tension. Let's talk about Gilda in Rigoletto um, for a moment. It was it was obviously also a role which you sang quite a bit. You also sang it in several languages. Yeah. Tell us about Gilda because there was, if I'm not mistaken, your very first performance of the role on the 6th of April 1956 in Vienna. You received something like 30 curtain calls. Yeah, yeah, they, well, actually to them it was a new little girl down on the stage, you know. Oh, no, no, that was wonderful. I'll, I'll never forget that as long as I lived. And apparently, as far as I know, your your colleagues behind the scenes were sort of counting each good and call. Yeah, um, oh, man. Yeah. And, and I didn't believe them. I mean, even up to today, I think there was a few extra calls, but okay, it was a lot. I had to go out a lot. The same thing happened once. There was a very important uh, head of, a, of some state in, in Europe that visited the Staatsoper, and I had to sing the Queen of the Night, and I was sick at that time. I had some sort of a, 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 I don't know what influence of something I had, and I had to sing that night. And I said to the in, 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 uh, director, I haven't got those high notes for the secretariat. And he said, all right, let me try, and, but I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll see about this. So he got in front of the curtains and he told the people, uh, you must really honor this, that she is singing tonight, she's sick, but she's doing as this favor. Okay, so the first aria went well. But the second aria that's got the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know those high notes? Yes. Okay, so I had to, I sang all of them like that, 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 there was no high notes. You know, they clapped so hard, I had to come out five times afterwards. Amazing. That was their way of saying thank you that you did sing and that you are here. You know, the audiences in Europe, is, they are fantastic.
Caronome from Verdi's Rigoletto with the Orchestra of the Vienna Folks Oper conducted by Argeo Quadri in that 1960 recording. Another important debut, this time at Covent Garden, took place on the 18th of June 1956, again in the role of the Queen of the Night. In 1958, Harold Rosenthal wrote in his treatise Two Centuries of Opera at Covent Garden, and I quote, Covent Garden, faithful to its past record of amassing as many Queens of the Night as possible to its collection, introduced yet another to the public on the 18th of June. Mimi Ingela Kutzer, a young South African from the Vienna Opera who immediately proved herself to be the best interpreter of the role heard since the war. She was a coloratura with dramatic accents. In all, 
There were 15 performances of this opera during the season, probably a world record. Let's talk about your first solo recording, which was Mimi Kurtz's Sin, which you recorded on the 7th of June, 1957. Yeah. And, well, we know that it was, a, it was also a very sad time for you because your brother, Rulof, had passed away the previous day. And, um, yeah, my eldest brother, yeah. Yes. I, I, I mean, I cannot begin to imagine what it must be like to record an album under those circumstances. How did you, how did you manage to, to sort well, of hold it all together? My, 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 my teacher was there, and of course Professor Victor Greve accompanied me. And I just told them, I said, please don't tell anybody my brother died. Mm. Don't tell anyone. Because, you know, if the people didn't come and say, hell man, we're so sorry, and oh, we appreciate that you're here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would, I don't know. I would have actually never come to Islet. And uh, in any case, nobody did then. They didn't know. And the whole record, you won't believe this, we, we recorded, I didn't repeat anything twice except one song. And that was our Liefste Tani Ons Progerosis. That is a, a sort of a happy little song. I had to re- record it, uh, I had to repeat it, it, uh, repeat it twice. Because they said, it was, he said, it's too slow, Mimi. Why is he so slow? Now come make the voice lighter and feel it, you know. So that was the only trouble. But otherwise the record went through. Only at, sang once and it was okay. Of course, Professor uh, Greff was also, he was one of your big mentors while you were in Vienna. Yeah. And, and you once described him as a phenomenal teacher. He was. He yes. was absolutely phenomenal. He, and and oh, I remember one day when I said to him, now, oh, how must I sing this? This was from my German leader. How must I interpret this song? Huh? He said, well, you mean listen how I accompany you. I did, and I had it. <laughs> it's funny, but things work out sometimes. When I gave my first leader recital in Vienna now, he also he accompanied me. And it was absolutely fantastic. And the people couldn't believe that he was going to accompany me because he was also the, the mentor of, of Fischer Diskau and Elizabeth Schwarzkopf and all these people. Wow. And yeah, he's accompanying this young singer. My, that's fantastic, you know. Yeah, quite an achievement. Yeah. Let's listen now to three Afrikaans songs, Lentelit, Kumdans Kladadain, and Kokavit, taken from that very first LP, Mimi Kurtze's Sing, recorded by Mimi Kurtze in 1956, with Professor Victor Greff at the piano. Oh, 
three Afrikaans songs there, Lentelit, Kumdans Kladadain and Kokovit, taken from Mimi Kurtz's Blow Plot, as it later on was used to be known, with her singing in 1956 with Professor Victor Greff at the piano. And I just have to, at this point, say a very special thank you to Akama Fuk, who so generously provided me with these recordings for our listening pleasure. So thank you, Akama. Richard Strauss, like Mozart, was another composer who featured prominently in Kurtz's career in 1957. She made a debut at Kleinborn in this extremely demanding role of Zerbinetta in Richard Strauss's Ariadne auf Naxos. The thrilling opening night performance of that production was broadcast by the BBC, and I'd now like to play you the aria Großmächtige Prinzessin from this live performance, conducted by John Pritchard. Thank you. 
großmächtige Prinzessin from Strauss's Ariadne auf Naxos has sung by Mimi Kurze in that performance from Gleinborn. In technical terms, Kurze's voice could be described as a dramatic coloratura, a fairly rare voice type that encompasses light, lyric and more dramatic roles, while at the same time possessing great flexibility, virtuosity and brilliance, with, of course, a significant extension in the upper register. In performance, especially during her early career, Kurtz's voice had a particular brightness to it. Some refer as well to a sweetness in the voice, which was never sentimental. It was a remarkable instrument, equal throughout its different registers. Kurtz made her debut as Constanze in Mozart's Die Entführung aus dem Serail at the Vienna State Academy in 1955, followed by performances at the Salzburg Festival and on the 19th of January 1957 for the first time at the Vienna State Opera. After The Queen of the Night, it would be her second most often performed role, with more than 300 performances in the Vienna State Opera alone. I had a letter about two years ago from the director of the Staatsoper, who just wanted to tell me that since the Staatsoper existed, since it was started, till up in that year, I think it was 2010 or 29, I'm not sure, uh, I'm the person who sang the most Constanza, in the Il Soralio. Wow. Now that's, I mean, that's a role I love. And mm. it was also very difficult. It wasn't, it wasn't a light role to sing. And it is said that Rudolf Bing, when he was, of course, the, the erstwhile manager, general manager of the Metropolitan Opera in New York, on one of his visits to Europe, he remarked afterwards that yours was one of the best voices that he heard following the Second World War in Europe. Yeah. That, that no, must he said that, but that was... That was I think he heard me as the, as the Constanza, and that, that must have been 57 or so, yeah. Let's listen now to Martin Adler Arten from Die Entführung aus dem Serail by Mozart, with the Vienna State Opera Orchestra conducted by Heinrich Holreiser in this 1972 recording.
Arten aller Arten from Mozart's Die Entführung aus dem Serail in that live performance from the Vienna State Opera with Heinrich Holreiser conducting in 1972. During her career in Europe, Kurza often returned to South Africa for performances, which some critics argued prevented her from further engagements in Europe and as a result even less of an international reputation than what she had already established. 1958 was one such year that saw Kurza returning to South Africa for a nationwide concert tour of South Africa with pianist José Rodríguez López. Throngs of fans and media representatives awaited Kurza in each town or city as news in South Africa began to spread of her achievements abroad. Let us now to two songs recorded for Gallo during Kurza's visit, Arno's The Lass with a Delicate Air and The Russian Nightingale by Ali Biev. Thank you. 
your voice was also obviously at the time changing. It was becoming slightly heavier. It was uh, growing in size, which obviously allowed you to do other roles as well. Um, more or less at the same time that you sort of dropped Queen of the Night from, from your repertoire. So all in all, I mean, it, it actually no. it meant that you could sing other roles, which you yeah, previously that could was not. actually the Richard Strauss roles that then came up, and some of the Puccini roles. But, but uh, I didn't, I mean, I, did, I, I already sang Traviata on 58, and Rigoletto was right from the beginning. So those, those, those roles was there. Talking about Violetta, you described it as one of your dream roles. I loved, I grew up with, I knew it, I knew the music of Traviata very, very, very well. And that was, of course, my brother that always played and said, Wonder, you'll sing this and listen how this girl is, this woman is doing this and that and so. Um, but it, it's, it's such a, it's a lovely opera. What I loved about it is that in the first act, it's coloratura like anything. And the second act, it's a little bit more lyrical. And then in the third act, it's intense. Uh, and it's just fantastic. Mm. I, I adored the role. I really did. Karajan wanted me to sing the Traviata with him in 69 in the net. And then uh, uh, being said, um, it's not a good night, a good time for the scripture to come to the net or the net to have the scripture. And that was really the first time I realized how bad we stand in the eyes of the world. I mean, I'm not politically very interested in things, and this, that is the first time that I then realized what's going on. That's why I was also sort of told through equity in Covent Garden that I can't sing there anymore. I didn't want to join them, because I always wanted to come home on holidays, and I wanted to sing here. And, uh, they said, and I said to them, but what does equity stand for? And they said it's, that you will not appear uh, in, uh, or have a concert or anything in any uh, place where there is a, how does one say, a racial difference. And I said, oh, we don't have that. And they said to me, Ms. Kutsu, we know you're going on a tour to South Africa now. We'll talk to you when you come back. And uh, so, okay. When I then ca uh, came back, they came to me and they said, now Ms. Kutsu, so what do you say? I said, no, you're right, there is a difference there. It's going on. Uh, well, are you going to join equity? So I said, no, I can't. My, my parents and, and my family and my, and my friends live there and the people who bring me out to South Africa. I can't pay every time to go out and sing there. They, they, they sponsoring me and bringing me out. So I can't. So they looked at me and then said, okay, well, this is in your last season in Covent Garden. Kurta made her debut in the role of Violetta in Verdi's La Traviata at the Vienna State Opera early in 1959. Here she is singing Violetta's first act scene in a recording made in Vienna the following year. Oh, <laughs> 
Sempre Libera from Verdi's La Traviata with the orchestra of the Vienna Volksoper conducted by Argeo Quadri in that 1960 recording. During the 1960s, Kurta added with great success roles in two bel canto masterpieces to her repertoire, Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor and the Druid priestess Norma in Bellini's opera by that name. Lucia especially is regarded by many as Kurta's most significant role. Lucia de Lammermoor. That is my favorite role. And the, the thing why I really loved it is that you can show off with your voice. Not show off. You know what I mean when I say it, you have all the coloratura on the high notes. And then also, I mean, there's a mad scene that's 20 minutes long and you've got to act in it. it, it and, and I loved acting. I really did. This was to me the, the perfect role to sing. And your debut as Lucia in 1960 at the Opera House in Graz, I know that that was met with overwhelming critical acclaim and was afterwards described as one of the most memorable evenings in the history of the Graz Opera House. Uh, You know, I mean, that's just also, you know, I think such an amazing achievement when you know that 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 sort of recognition is bestowed upon one um, in a role such as Lucia. No, no, that was absolutely fantastic. I then sang it in Vienna afterwards. I've sung it in quite a few places in all over Europe. But I must honestly tell you, it was it was fantastic. Of course, it was in German in 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 Graz. Then in Vienna in Italian, and so oh, it was just absolutely fantastic.
Spargi Damaro Pianto from Lucia di Lammermoor by Donizetti as sung by Mimi Kurze. I want to ask you about Norma, which um, was, well, it is a role of of incredible difficulty and and a lot of people I know have commented and said, you know, they'd rather sing Brunhilde than sing Norma. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's a a real role for a singing actress. And and also, I think it must have been a vehicle for you to really sort of sink your, your, your teeth into a role which demands so much from a singer. Tell us about your experiences of Norma. Uh, it, again, it's, it's, it's one of those roles which you must have in, greatly enjoyed. Well, after Malachi on Graz, they said they wanted to do Norma with me. And then Karajan, of course, called me and said uh, he, hear, he heard somewhere that I was going to see uh, Norma. He just wanted to tell me it's not, not the time yet for me to see Norma. So I said, well, I'm sorry, I, I had to go. I promised him I would come and do it. And then, I mean, he just shook his, you know, his shoulders and that was all. And okay, I left. So I did go and sing there. And that was, I learned also the role. They taught me the role there. And we had a lovely Italian conductor also. And I don't know, I, 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 I enjoyed it unreal. It was absolutely fantastic. And that's also a role I sang here in South Africa yes. when I came back then. And, and, and really introduce the role to South African audiences. I don't know. Maybe you are. I, I'm pretty sure that you must have been one of the very first singers to sing the role in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, it can be, yeah.
Casta Diva from Bellini's opera Norma with the National Symphony Orchestra conducted by Louis Lane. I want to ask you about your role in Candide as Kunigunda. Uh, working with Leonard Bernstein, there's that marvelous uh, recording that you made, um, one of the radio performance which was which was made in, in Vienna in 1963. Yeah, it was actually the the German world premiere. What was Bernstein like? Oh, I loved him. It was lovely. He was so. Mm, I was now the English or Afrikaans with in German. It's menschlich. He was so human. He was absolutely. Oh man, he was just wonderful. He really was wonderful. And, and, yeah, yeah, I can rave about him, so I'm not going to do much more now. He's, he, he, I enjoyed it very much working with him. Yes. He, he sort of said he's sorry he did, didn't have me in America to sing the first one day, and oh, it was just lovely. Well, he, of course, regarded you as, as one of his best yeah. Konigundas, yeah. Yeah. Let us now to Was mein Herz begeert from Bernstein's Candide with the Vienna Symphony Orchestra conducted by the composer himself in this 1962 recording.
hoffnungsvollen jungen Lebens. Oh, wären Diamanten mir Ersatz für den weit größeren Schatz, den ich geopfert. Vergebens, schließlich weiß doch jeder, ich zahlte dafür meinen Preis. Und trotzdem mit dem Schimmer der Juffie, so sehr verführerisch auf jeder Frau. Wir gehen dafür Raum und Morden stehen. Und was wir sonst noch tun, weiß man genau. Genug, genug. Die Männer sollen es wissen. Erst nehme ich ihr Gold. certainly not difficult to understand why Bernstein considered Mimi Kurze his best Kunigunde. The uh, thrilling aria there, Was mein Herz begiert from Candide, and that was recorded in 1962 with Bernstein conducting the Vienna Symphony Orchestra. Turning to operetta, in July of 1960 you appeared in The Merry Widow for performances in Vienna, which was your first operetta. Mm. And Audiences at the time were completely amazed at your natural affinity for operetta, that you as an Ausländer could perform their sort of, you know, art form with such wonderful aplomb. Why do you think operetta sat so well with you? You know, the thing that really amazed me is also when I started with Mozart, where did I learn to sing Mozart the, the way Mozart should be sung? And I'm the expert. I mean... I didn't even know there's, there's a certain way that you should sing Mozart. And the same thing with operetta. And, but I'll tell you where I really did, as a young, a young girl, um, they had a lot of, of, of uh, uh, operators on the radio at that time. And, um, well, I sat there and I listened. I'll never forget one night off. My dad was so cross. We had visitors and the radio was unfortunately in the sitting room. And I was sitting there with it loudly on, and I, he couldn't get me out. I wouldn't go out, and then, then the guest said, oh, man, leave her, let her listen, and they all went into the dining room and sat around the table. Oh, my dad was very cross about that. But, I mean, I listened to all the operators that I could while I was still in South Africa. And what was so wonderful when I did my first 
very widow in Vienna in 1960. That is, they usually did that in the in the July. Uh, 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 the, 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 the start super and the fall super they closed during July and August. So this happened in, in July, four times a week.
the Villa song from Lehar Die Lustige Witwe with the Vienna State Opera Orchestra, conducted by Hans Hagen. By the early 1970s, Kurta had reached the apex of her career and, as expressed in her autobiography, felt that her voice was at its best, having matured and developed to an instrument that encompassed a varied spectrum of roles. After 17 years as prima donna at the Vienna State Opera, having earned her place as one of the leading singers in Europe and having devoted so much of herself to her art, Kurza had also found love and happiness in her third marriage to businessman Werner Ackermann. Yet she longed to return to South Africa and following a highly successful production of Richard Strauss's opera Daphne at the Vienna State Opera in 1972, she informed the opera management of her intention to return to her country of birth. Mimi, I want to move to the Afrikaans art song and also the Afrikaans folk space, as it were, um, both of which you performed extensively on your recital programs abroad. Tell us about what it meant to you to be able to sing in Afrikaans and to be able to sing to audiences abroad in, in your home language and to promote the works of our local South African composers. You see, the thing is what got, which really inspired me to do it was that I saw Victoria de Los Angeles uh, in London. She was singing a, 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 in a concert. The first half was down the German leader, and then after the interval, she came back with her guitar in her hand and started to sing Spanish songs. But it was a different singer from the one that was before, who sang there before interval and now. It was absolutely different. It, she was gorgeous. And I just thought, well... That's her language, her mother tongue, and that's her music. So mm. that does something to her. And so when I had my first leader recital, which was in Salzburg, uh, I put in Arnold van Weyck uh, for Vier die Moedagelikis. Yes. And uh, then afterwards, some of the big, big uh, musical people there in Salzburg came and, oh, and they asked me questions. And is this your mother tongue? Yes, I said. And uh, is it the composer's mother tongue? Yes. And is it the poet's? Yes. Oh, and I was yesing and yesing. I, I couldn't take it anymore. And then suddenly there came a voice from one of them there. My God, such beautiful, absolutely beautiful music out, out of the bush. <laughs> I could murder you. <laughs> but in any case, so I just thought, it, it is nice. The one song I never did do there was Heimdia by Esla Rumare. And so I made the mistake one night by putting it in a, in, a, in a recital of mine in Vienna. And I started actually my concert with Italian and then with uh, uh, English and then Afrikaans songs. And then after interval, I had the German leader. And they had the translation of all these songs on the program. So when I came to Heimbeer, I was in the middle of the song, and I, oh, you won't believe it, I started to cry. Yes. And then I thought, okay, say now your, your career is over, you can forget it. But when I looked up into the audience, they were all sitting and crying there, <laughs> wiping their tears off, you know. So that went well. <laughs> so I just decided afterwards, I'm always, even if it's just one song, I'll put an Afrikaans song in.
Esleru Marais Heimweer as sung by Mimi Kurta in one of their early performances with Professor Victor Greff at the piano. In July of 1972, Kurta returned with Werner and Ackermann to South Africa where they bought a house in Waterkloof, Pretoria. At 41 years of age, Kurta was too young to retire, yet more than anything, and following five miscarriages, she longed for a child of her own. Her dream of becoming a mother finally came true with the adoption in 1975 of a baby girl, Mia, and a baby boy, Werner, in 1977. Back on home soil, it was not long, however, before she started accepting invitations to perform locally. Several recordings with the SABC, leader concerts and performances in opera followed, the first of which was a production for KPAB of La Traviata at the Nicomelan Opera in Cape Town in October 1973. It was Cape Town, in fact, where Kurta would be heard most in opera performances, and in many ways Cape Town would become her local opera home. It was only in 1978 again that Kurta would return to Vienna for a farewell performance as Elisabetta in Verdi's Don Carlo at the Staatsoper. Following her performance, several commentators noted how wonderful it was to hear a true pianissimo again on the stage of the Staatsoper. At a special concert honouring Kurta in 1986, Taube Kuschlik, Kurtz's former drama teacher, made a moving speech, imploring Kutze never to retire. I can only tell you, Mimi, don't you dare retire. I want to know to where, where will you retire to, and for what? With that tiger still burning inside of you, you have lots to do. We are going to need people like you to pass on your talent. Teach our young. There is the talent that they need people like you. I salute you, Mimi. I love you. And I want to wish you laughter and happiness, because in the end it's all that really matters. Well, retire Kurtzer certainly did not. Her devotion to assistance and development of singing talent in South Africa is well known. In 1985, she started to beat meet Mimi, and in 1998, together with Niels Hansen, founded the Black Tie Ensemble, a development project which enables young, classically trained singers to bridge the gap between training and professional performance. There are also the various bursaries, most notably the Mimi Kurtzer bursary at the Ranta Afrikaans Universiteit, which she instituted at the age of 27 already in an effort to help young singers. Apart from the prestigious title of Kammerzingerin, received from the Austrian government, Kurtzer has received several awards, including the Medal of Honor from the South African Academy for Science and Arts, the Decoration for Meritorious Service and Recognition of the Contribution to the Arts from the South African Government, the Österreichische Ohrenkreuz für Wissenschaft und Kunst, the highest accolade an artist can receive from the Austrian government, the Golden Rathausmann received from the Mayor of Vienna, Dr. Michael Hoppel, in 2002, and an honorary doctorate received from the University of Pretoria. In many ways, Mimi Kurza opened a door for fellow South African artists and those who would follow in her footsteps, showing South Africans that we too could hold our own on international stages. Today, at the age of 80, she is still involved in the training and development of young singers and she frequently serves on the panels of various international singing competitions. A compassionate human being, Kurza has served her community and country not only through her art, but also through her involvement with various community organisations. Her infectious laughter is indicative of her remarkable zest for life 
and her vivacious personality. Echoing the words of Taube Kushlik, we can but say, Mimi, we salute you. Mimi, we've come to the end of, of our time, and um, I really want to thank you for doing this interview for Fine Music Radio and for giving of your time to chat to, to me and, and, and contributing to this program. We wish you a wonderful, wonderful birthday and lots of health and, and only the best things ahead in the next few years. Thank you so much for everything that you do for music in this country and for your work with the training and development of singers. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate it that you took the trouble to call me and to talk with me. And I must tell you, whenever I'm in Cape Town, I'm on this station. Oh, wonderful. Always. Only That's this good station. to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you so much and keep well. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. And so from me, Adrian Fox, have a lovely weekend and join me again on the 10th of August here on Fine Music Radio when I'll be presenting a program on acclaimed South African pianist Nina Schumann. Till then, good evening, good night, and have a good weekend.
Please, please, please. 